In this world of small businesses, there's a little bit of confusion or maybe conversation about the word franchise. A lot of people automatically assume McDonald's or Burger King, but the world of franchises and franchisors is growing rapidly in the current environment, and there are a lot of opportunities to access maybe some of these potential business investments or uh, streams of income. This episode, we have a guy who is an expert and has been involved in hundreds of franchise deals. He's sharing all of the, the most common questions and the top piece of information we need to know. It's going to be a great episode. Listen to the end. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock, in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM Podcast. What happens when you've grown your Amazon business as much as you can and don't have the time or resources to take it to the next level? That's where Thrasio comes in. Thrasio acquires category-leading FBA brands from small business owners just like you and specializes in taking your brand to new heights while you profit from the growth. When you sell your business to Thrasio, your deal could include a long-term earnout, meaning you profit when your brand grows under their management. So if you're thinking about selling your FBA business, visit Thrasio.com slash Helium10 to connect with Thrasio's deals team. That's T-H-R-A-S-I-O dot com slash Helium10 for more information on if your brand is a good fit for Thrasio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today we are talking about franchises. Now, when I grew up, small businesses in my mind were just franchises. If somebody that I knew in the neighborhood or someone who's you know, kid I played ball with had a business. It was going to be a fast food restaurant. It was going to be a service business. And I remember thinking that franchises were a little bit like a MLM, a multi-level marketing thing. I didn't understand why would I want to get into a business where I have to pay someone to open up a shop with their name on it, and then I'm building their name, and I have to pay royalties. I have to pay a, a portion of my profits to these people. Like, why not just go start my own business? Now that I have dabbled a little bit in the business world and frankly lost a lot of money trying things myself, I can see that there are potentially some benefits to the franchise world. We're going to talk about some of those examples in this episode, and I think that it's just really good general information on this very, very large business opportunity. I'm not saying it's right for everybody, but I think that just understanding what a franchise is, how a franchise might be beneficial to some of our listeners is very, very important. Now, our guest today, John Austinson, has worked with hundreds and hundreds of these deals. Right now, he works with about 400 franchisors, and he matches them with potential investors and business owners. He's been doing this for a long time. But what I love about consultants is that they don't, and I say this sarcastically, I love consultants that have never worked in the business themselves. And that's not the case with John. John has actually been a franchise owner Uh, Multiple times himself, he understands the business, then later became a consultant. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce John Austinson. And if you would, go ahead and tell us how you got started in this crazy world of franchising. So if you would, John, in like four minutes, give us the introduction of how you got to this point right now, what you're doing in this crazy world, and kind of how it all got started. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, you know, like many members of your audience, I, I was in the corporate world uh, for a number of years, had a great run, uh, getting to do some international consulting with, with some large firms and uh, went back and got my MBA and was continuing down the corporate path. And, um, you know, it, it was hard to leave, but I had that desire for me. It was to go from a public company to a private company. And I kind of stumbled into uh, serving as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System, uh, which is based here in Atlanta. And I got the opportunity to support our franchise owners across North America. And for me, that was a very eye-opening experience. So Shelf Genie was custom pull-out shelving for kitchens and pantries. And I got to see firsthand how we supported um, those that were looking to become business owners uh, through franchising. And it was non-food. I always assumed franchising and food, just like so many others. And long story short, ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. We spun off. We've owned some franchises ourselves. I've got other business partners. Um, I'm invested in seven or eight different franchise brands uh, today, largely in the property services space. That's kind of where our focus has been. Um, you know, but we're fortunate to have good people running those for us. And it allows me to do uh, what I spend 90% of my time doing, and that's um, consulting and brokering deals. And so I work with, you know, those that are looking to leave the corporate world, those that maybe have a job that they want to keep or they are already a small business owner and they're looking to expand and diversify that portfolio or potentially buy into something that complements what they're currently doing. Um, so we have a lot of different models, but uh, a lot of what I do is getting out there and educating. And so, uh, you know, I call it non-food franchising because 95% of my clients want nothing to do with food. To me, I think there are easier ways to make money. That wasn't my background. And so we focus in a wide variety of industries and uh, you know, get to do a lot of deals and, and have a lot of placements. So why is franchising a hot topic right now? Like I, I feel like I've seen this resurgence of the conversation happening in the past few years. Is that just a COVID-induced thing or was it happening before then? It was happening before then for sure. And I would say COVID uh, only... Uh, extended that. I, I think it, COVID caused a lot of people to step back and question the path they're on, do some thinking. You know, woke a lot of people up to the idea. Of, hey, maybe, maybe now's the time to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. And of course, we see the Great Resignation, uh, the headlines. I mean, it's real. And I have these conversations throughout the day, every single day, uh, with different backgrounds around the country, and I'm able to understand. Hey, what's resonating? You know, with uh, George and Omaha is very similar to Sally and Charlotte. And, um, uh, you know, we're able to bring the opportunities to them. They're the best fit that we see resonating with so many others across the country today. And um, so I, I definitely think COVID has only extended uh, that desire to, for freedom, that desire for control, in some cases, that desire to, to work remotely and not have to go into an office. Um, it, people would rather build their own empire than build someone else's empire. And I think they're waking up to that. So with that being the context, explain what a franchise actually is. Like we just talked about owning your own business, scratching that entrepreneurial itch, but now follow up with what an actual franchise is in the context of this conversation and in the context of 2022. Yeah. So by definition, a franchise is a shared brand. It is uh, support being provided by essentially the home office or corporate side. And then it's uh, some form of uh, financial royalty being paid back for that support. So there are some businesses out there that may be operating as franchises and uh, don't recognize it. But franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. Um, Every franchise brand has to cross their T's, dot their I's with their FDD or franchise disclosure document. 
And I'll start by saying franchising is not right for everyone. I, I work with some entrepreneurs and you know, I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization and there are clients of mine in there that I say, hey, you want to put your thumbprints all over your idea. You don't want to follow someone else's uh, uh, you know, guidelines. However, I have a lot of business owners that say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've built everything from scratch. I love the idea of being able to step into something where I'm essentially starting on third base, not first base. You know, I know the path to profitability on day one. I'm not trying to figure out product market fit and is this even profitable? It has the potential uh, to be profitable. And so with franchising, you know, some of the benefits there are you've got essentially a, a coach on the sidelines, that franchisor who the better you perform, the better they perform. And so you have some aligned interest. You've got other franchise owners around the country or around North America that are living the same thing day in, day out. And they're testing different marketing vehicles. They're figuring out where are the good pools to fish in for, you know, to hire folks. Um, and so there's best practices being exchanged back and forth. You're not by yourself. Um, obviously, you have a playbook. And from my time as a franchisor with Shelf Genie, where I got to see a lot of people running the same business, those um, the, the, our top performers were the ones that followed the playbook. I mean, day in, day out, they were the, our top performers. Um, and then finally, I'd say, you know, t- two last things from a financial standpoint. When you choose to buy into a franchise, you get a really good financial representation going in. It's not a given, nothing is without risk, but you're able to see how all these other owners across the country are doing financially. You get to talk with them. Um, so you really go in eyes wide open. And then what I remind people oftentimes of, and, and your listeners can certainly resonate with this, when you're growing a business, you know, there's really three things. One, you're, you're building cash flow income, if you will. Uh, you're oftentimes able to write off expenses that if you have a W-2, you're not able to write off. And so, you know, there are some benefits there. But then finally, you're building an asset that should have residual value uh, down the road, um, should be worth more than what you put into it initially if you built a halfway decent business. And, you know, something that people find really eye-opening is that private equity loves franchising. And we'll maybe touch on that a little bit later, some of the deals that have been happening. But um, your exit value typically with a franchise is higher than non-franchised. The Rinker School of Business looked at 2,000 companies across a 20-year span in like industries and found that franchise businesses at the franchisee level typically trade at a one and a half multiple of non-franchised. And so that is eye-opening to people who realize, hey, I'm building an asset here along the way as well. So it sounds like some of the big the big takeaways for me is, one, tell me if this is correct, but the other franchise's uh, performance is kind of public information. Like you said, this is all regulated control. So if I'm thinking about investing, I actually have access to that data to see, well, of these other 20 stores or 20 other businesses that were opened, this is how they did. Is that right? Yeah. So every franchise system has an FDD or franchise disclosure document. There's 23 sections within that. Your item seven, as it's referred to, uh, is your all-in investment. That's broken out, given as a range. Here Here are the different variables there. Your item 19 is where they represent financial performance. You know, if you were to buy in, here's how you'd likely do. Um, not every franchise system breaks out to the same level of detail. Some will say, hey, our top quarter, top quartile of franchise owners are performing at this level. Others, like one that I, I just did a deal with recently, has 24 pages of detailed financial performance for every single location. I'd say that's more the exception. But regardless, you're going to get some good intel on past performance, then also getting to talk to other owners through what we call validation 
you can get your questions answered and get some good perspective. I love that. And then the other thing is kind of a, not a realization, but something I've always known is that one of the biggest struggles with small businesses getting started is that we don't know what we don't know. If I'm going to create a product, well, it's not just that I have to create this product. I have to figure out how to market it. I have to figure out how to distribute it. I have to figure out my supply chain. I have to negotiate raw material supply prices. I have to figure out how my books are going to be done. There's so just building out um, SOP, standard operating procedures, so many things. So when you buy into a franchise, in theory, all of that stuff's already been figured out, right? But the reason that a business would choose the franchise model instead of just, oh, we're going to go build a bunch of our own stores is those business models may need local support. They may need local representation. They need someone that's invested in the business to be the local boss, the manager, to hire and fire, to do all those things. And there are a lot of businesses that probably are built successfully by having the balance of both of those. Is that right? Tim, you said that extremely well. Okay. No, Perfect. when I... <laughs> when I was it's not often that I get something right, but all right, cool. So, you know, I've sat on the franchisee side of the table as well as the franchisor side. And with the franchisor side, when we would take candidates through our discovery day process, through the whole process, very oftentimes they would look at us after meeting all the different support teams and they would say, gosh, you guys are making the phone ring with marketing. You're answering the calls with your call center. You've got to set up in the system. You're doing this and you're doing that. What do we do day in, day out? And our answer invariably was exactly what you said, that we, it comes down to that local market, get involved in chamber of commerce, sponsor a little league baseball team, do some of that grassroots organic social media, but also hire good talent, retain and incentivize good talent and make tough calls when needed. You know, if, if someone doesn't like people, no matter what industry, it's going to be really hard to, to be successful. And so a lot of it comes down to being, being able to follow the playbook and then that people side of it. So as I consider, you know, my prospects of buying into a franchise, I understand a lot of the benefits, the, the, the processes, the branding, but there's also a lot of restrictions. I have to pay a royalty for sales. I have to spend a lot of money up front to even buy in. I have to live by the rules. Uh, and if I go to try to exit my business, I'm just selling my franchise, but not the entire business. Like it doesn't work that way. Why is it worth it financially oftentimes to buy into that, that, that larger kind of, I don't know, chokehold. I'll use that word. I don't mean it critically, but it is kind of a, it kind of chokes your opportunities. Why is it better to spend your money on that than just try to grassroots bootstrap your own individually branded business from the very beginning? Yeah. Well, for everyone in the industry they're going into and their background, there are a lot of variables that go into play to say whether it's a better move. You know, I've started by saying franchising is not right for everyone, but for so many, it is a better path to business ownership. And I think it's a good path to consider if you're considering starting your own business. Hey, let's at least look at franchising. And you know, ultimately, we look at the financials net of the royalty. We look at what is that initial investment you're putting in, maybe $125,000. And you may be using SBA loans or some other path to do that. But then what is that exit potential and what are you making along the way? So you, know, you have to take all those pieces into consideration, risk and reward. I mean, you look at Gosh, I mean, the the success rate of small businesses still open five years later versus those are franchising, which is pretty high. Um, So all that comes into play. And I know that we said that, you know, franchises aren't always fast food. I'll use an example. I know the owner of a couple Chick-fil-A businesses, locations, and I feel like it is such a great example of how franchises work. Now, 
at least a few years ago when I when I was looking into it, Chick-fil-A was not an, ex, an inexpensive franchise to get started. It was a lot of money up front. It was, um, you know, it, not $100,000 to get started. But the day that they opened those doors, there was a line three miles down the road because they had invested in the branding. You know, people weren't showing up to Timbo's Chicken Shack. They were showing up to Chick-fil-A. But that guy runs the business. It's his right? And now he's expanded to two or three. So there, I, I definitely see some value, especially in the branding side and the, the ability to accelerate. If you look at most, my understanding, most small businesses, retail, restaurant services, it's going to take you seven or eight years a lot of times to build up the team, the processes, the systems, the supply chain, and the branding that you can have essentially the first week of the right franchise. Is all that correct? That's correct. I, I would say because so many people's thinking is around fast food, that branding probably weighs heavier in some people's mind. Over 80% of my clients end up in an industry they never thought they'd be in. Once we peel back the onion and understand kind of, you know, all the different variables that we'll probably touch on in a minute, the brand, they've usually not heard of the brand. And in food, I think brand's extremely important. But part of the reason I don't do food is, you know, that brands can be trendy. You know, there it's what I look at more is the leadership team, the model, the track record, what they're providing, how they're supporting you. That plays in so much more than brands. Frankly, if it's a brand that you've recognized, it's going to be sold out in your market. It's extremely competitive out there. I mean, things are going fast. And so it is emerging brands that may have anywhere from five locations to 50 locations or, or 200 locations with room to grow. That's where the placements are happening. Because if you say, hey, you know, I like the idea of a serve pro business. Well, Surpro has been sold out in Atlanta for I don't know how many decades. But you know, we've got some others that have a Surpro twist to them, but some uniques and they've got a proven business model. But it's a brand that hasn't been introduced to the Atlanta market yet. Um, and so we work a lot with emerging brands and there's some neat things going on out there coming down the chute. Well, it's interesting that you said that a lot of these new franchise owners that you work with get into an industry they didn't even know existed. So I think that adds some weight to this idea that there is a lot already built out for you. You don't have to be an expert in sucking water out of a, you know, carpet. You just have to be able to fulfill some of those local functions and let everybody else handle the training and the, the, here's the equipment you need and here's how you market it. That is exceptionally cool. So here's another question. We've talked about why a franchise might have a lot of advantages for an, an entrepreneur. If franchises are so awesome, why don't big businesses just go and buy buy them all up, right? If they can look at the uh, the decks, the prospectuses, and see, hey, these businesses have a very strong track record of success with this amount of growth. Why did an investment bank come in and just buy up everything? They do. They try to. I, I, hmm. I have conversations multiple times a week with private equity firms reaching out to me saying, hey, I've got $350 million to spend. What franchisors do you like out there? Private equity loves franchising for the same reasons. You know, here you've got not just a sales force around the country, but you've got people with skin in the game. They're, act, they're acting like owners, not employees. You've got repeat revenue, predictability, oftentimes the ability to, to scale further, maybe go international. Um, so if you Google private equity and franchising, there are deals coming out every single week. And in some cases, they're at the franchisor level, I'd say in most cases today. In some cases, you know, like in Orange Theory, they go in and you know, private equity buys a whole group of franchisees and, and pulls them together. 
Um, but I'm, I'm starting to see more activity at the franchisee level, even if they come in at franchisor level, like pods, you know, the movable units. Containers, yeah. They came in and bought up all their franchisees. And so, you know, that's a very, that's happening in a lot of cases. A good friend of mine uh, is the CEO of an um, orthotic uh, insole and footwear company. They use 3D printing, just incredible what they do with technology. Well, they've got 60 locations in the U.S., a handful more internationally. Well, he's going to continue to open corporate locations, and he's backed by private equity, but he's going to also franchise along the way with the exit plan of potentially buying his franchisees if they're willing down the road. It gives them a natural exit. So, no, we definitely see um, investment. I was talking with a client this morning about Code Ninjas, which is um, you know was bought by Eagle Merchant Partners recently. That's coding and STEM training for kids. You know, everyone cares about. I always joke that people care about their kids they care about their health they care about their pets and they care about their homes and they will spend on those categories in some form or fashion no matter what the economy so we love businesses to kind of fall into those different um, those different groups but no i mean they came in and, and bought up uh you know code ninjas and so you see just non-stop private equity looking out there and what they're typically looking to do i see is a very big positive for franchise owners because they come in and they infuse money i'm invested in a driveway resurfacing business it was recently bought by private equity. What did they do? They came in, put together a new website and branding package, and they're spending money not only opening up new locations, but also at the franchise owner level. They brought in another brand, a sister brand now that we get to partake in as current franchise owners. And so to me, it's always a positive. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but the question, the answer is we do see big money moving into franchising, and it has been for a while. So if someone were to call you and say, hey, I have some money, I'm interested in becoming a franchise owner, what are the first questions that you ask them or what are the first questions you make them aware of that they should be asking themselves? Like what is the first five minutes of that conversation? Yeah. So I'll start kind of zooming out a little bit. My process is entirely free for my clients. They never pay me a dime. Mm -hmm. I get paid by the franchise brands on the back end. For them, it's a sales and marketing expense. None of that gets passed on to my clients. In so shameless plug for Franbridge Consulting. It does not cost you a thing to talk to them. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great model. works very well all the way around. Um, so what we've done is we've looked to streamline the process. So there's roughly 4,000 franchise brands out there. Take out the food ones because we're non-food. And that's where we focus. It probably cuts it in half. You take those 2,000. Well, we've vetted those down to about 400 brands that – fit our criteria, strong leadership, good track record, strong return on investment, unique niche. We try to have a wide variety across industries. Um, ones that we're proud to put in front of our clients. And we've got relationships with most of those at a pretty deep level. We, we've been doing this long enough. And so with these uh, brands, what we do is, um, you know, I'd have a conversation with the client, we'd spend maybe 30 minutes on the phone. I'd get into the questions, which I'll uh, jump into in a second. But then, come back after I really have them fill out a questionnaire and really understand what they're looking for and present opportunities to them. Six, seven, eight opportunities that are available in their local market. We walk through those together, try and narrow it down to two or three typically from which I'll make the introductions and they then have a conversation, entirely no obligation, but they get to hear from the franchise brands. And very often my clients will say, hey, what was ranked number three in my list is now number one now that I've gotten a chance to talk to them. We'll drop a brand, maybe add in another one, but we try to keep it manageable. We don't want them overwhelmed. We want them to understand, uh, you know, very methodically. Here's here's how you analyze a business. Let's build that framework of how we view different businesses, 
And, you know, there's so many different components that you look at. Um, and then the franchisor will take them through a series of calls, really educate them on the business. Um, I hold my client's hand through that process. And so that's kind of what it looks like from a high level. To your question of what we get into on that first call, I want to know a little bit more about your background. I want to know what you're looking to do. What are some of your preconceived notions coming in that, hey, you've always thought you'd be in this industry, but you're open-minded. Um, you know, are there any things that are off limits, any industries you wouldn't want to be? You know, I, I ask people, hey, if you could be the king of porta potties and have a $10 million porta potty business, are you okay at the cocktail party being known as a porta potty guy? You know, is your wife okay with that? Um, so, we, you know, we, we have some fun with it, but, you know, understanding what, how they would look to fund the investment, whether it be through an SBA loan, which is very common through their retirement, where we have some structuring we can do to avoid taxes or whether, you know, it's, it's purchasing it direct. Um, what role do they want to play in the business? Is it owner operator or is it semi-absentee uh, where they're putting in maybe 10 hours a week, let's say? Uh, what's going on in their local market? Do we have young families moving in? Is it more of an elderly uh, base? Um, where do they see needs? Where do they feel they're overly saturated? So we kind of start peeling back the onion. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking constantly of, hey, here's what's resonating with other people that's making a lot of sense that's hot, if you will. Uh, that, that we believe in that could be a good fit. Um, so it's a fun process. I, I love getting to introduce them to opportunities. You know, just to give a couple of practical examples, I just had a former Wall Street attorney outside of Boston buy a gutter company, open three locations of a gutter business, incredible financials on that business. He never thought he'd be in the gutter space. Uh, had a corporate guy in uh, New Jersey buy into it as well. Um, you know, I just had a couple out in Arkansas. She works for the University of Arkansas, wants to keep her day job, has a really good uh, job out there. They spot into a fitness business on the side that caters to those 50 and over, which are a very underserved <laughs> community yeah. that care more about their health and have more discretionary income than any other. Um, I just had a former Silicon Valley guy in Southern California buy a property management business. Um, and so those are just a couple of examples. Just had a client, uh, you know, engineer, 50 years old in Indianapolis by a business coaching business. Um, and so there's a, just a wide variety of, you know, we just did an oil change deal for 10 locations between Atlanta and Charlotte. These were old fraternity brothers of mine. So I had a lot of fun working with them, but they're current business owners. They've got a flooring business. They've got their hands in a few other things. Never thought they'd be in automotive or oil changes. But once we peeled back the onion and they said, hey, this is really cool how they go about it. They use unused parking spaces in a retailer's parking lot. It's a prefabricated building backed by an investor groups. So they're able to get in at a much lower cost. It's just a really cool proven model. Um, so those are just a couple of examples. I like that. That is cool. Now I want to go check out this prefabricated oil change uh, yeah. building. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make going in the space? Because obviously not every story is a success. Not everybody's going to strike it rich or make it big, you know, in the, in the franchise game, but probably the majority of the losses come from a handful of similar mistakes or, or, or frequent mistakes, common mistakes, I should say. What are those common mistakes you see people make? Yeah. And I'll start by saying I've only had one client in my years of doing this that, that is no longer in business. Um, and he could have stayed in business. He was a CPA about three hours outside of Nashville and really loved this mosquito business that I introduced him to. And, and, and it's a good business. It's done well for other clients of mine. However, he was three hours outside the market and you know, he launched in what was a colder than usual spring. And, you know, there are a lot of macro factors. 
But ultimately, I think his proximity was a challenge in a business like that. He didn't have friends and family putting out yard signs or, you know, writing reviews online because he wasn't local to the market. So I think in some cases, geography matters more than others. Um, So that would be that that would be one example. Second, I'd say the biggest one is just having the right general manager. Um, You know, in some of my businesses, we've had to cycle through a couple of general managers, you know, where we were semi-absentee and, you know, we had someone essentially running the business for us. And maybe we had too much confidence in them and we were a little too hands off out of the gate. And I mean, those are still running today. It's just we then had to play catch up a little bit. Um, So I think it's, you know, it it comes down to people having the right person running point, giving them the right leash. Um, I've got a client of mine over in South Carolina, uh, Nathan, who is the largest franchise owner of two men in a truck moving service, operates in about nine markets, does 30 million a year. Um, He's 39 years old. So he's built up a great team. And so he and I did a couple of deals last year for businesses in which he's now built the talent in-house and he sources these guys through church usually and gets to know them or, you know, they earn his trust. And then he gives them a lot of equity to go out and run these businesses, totally incentivizes them. His theory is I'd rather have a larger piece or a smaller nut than a smaller piece of a large nut. He wants them incentivized. Yep. Um, And he's had a great track record. He's come back and bought additional locations for every deal that we've done. Um, and he's actually willing to coach my clients too on, on how you go about finding that right general manager, how to set them up for success. So I'd say that's probably your number one reason, Tim, um, is finding the right person. That's always been my biggest fear because I am not great at hiring. I'm really bad at firing and I'm really bad at delegating. (laughs) Yeah, that's terrifying, but at least those issues are surmountable right? This isn't something that you can't overcome. This isn't something that can't be taught, can't be learned, and can't be fixed with some trial and error. It's not like the franchise, from what you're saying, that the biggest mistakes are that people are, you know, getting into businesses that are just doomed to fail. You know, it's usually something like an operator error or, um, you know, like you said, not being able to market it because maybe you're not within the region. So I love it. I love reducing risk in business. And I do love the concept of having the data, having the game plan, having the roadmap already built out. So even if it does mean you have to fork over more money and go get that loan if you need to get started and you have to pay royalties, I like what you said. It's better to have a small piece of a big nut than a big piece of a small nut, right? Yeah. I love that. Um, and for a lot of people, I, I personally know franchises have been successful for them. I've just never understood where it lands, like maybe in my future, Right. And some of these questions that you've gone over today kind of help answer that. You know, there can be absentee businesses because I don't want to be hiring general managers for fast food companies the rest of my life. Like, I refuse to do that. (laughs) Uh, My wife says I spend too much or, yeah, too much time in a fast food restaurant as it is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't, don't need to be back there at the fry uh, fry machine more. All right. Great. One thing that you said that I really love is that your services to potential franchisees is free. You don't charge anything for that. So free consultation, free advice. You get paid, I guess, finders fees from the um, franchisors is the term you used. So for any of you that are thinking about potentially getting into franchising, check out franbridgeconsulting.com. I'm sure, John, you've got tons of information. You've got tons of blog articles and, and all that good stuff people can peruse through. And then anybody that's serious can eventually get in touch with your team and kind of see what that possibility looks like. Is there anything else I'm forgetting there? Yeah, come to our website, sign up for our newsletter, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. But yeah, I would be happy to send you some resources. Just had an article come out in Forbes two weeks ago that li- it does a good job of laying the, the landscape of what we're seeing out there. And 
and some other podcast episodes and such too, where we drill into specific opportunities. So I think that's where the juices start flowing for people when they say, hey, I can make that in that business. I never would have thought. And so that's um, that's fun. So I think it's the exposure and just uh, kind of acclimate yourself to the idea. But yeah, happy to share those resources. Sign up for our newsletter. I'll ping you directly and uh, make sure you, you at least have some material to start on. Amazing. So that's Franbridge, F-R-A-N-B-R-I-D-G-E consulting.com for all of you that are listening. And you don't have the show notes here on the YouTube channel. Well, thank you, John, for being on. I know it sounds like you're a very busy guy, so we appreciate you spending some time to give some free information to our listeners. And for those of you that are listening, we appreciate you being here. We love the love and support that you give us. We just had another really high number for last month, last month of January of downloads. And we appreciate all the love and support you guys give us. If you love this episode, make sure to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, whether that's Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple. If you are watching YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and share this uh, episode to anybody else that you think might find value in it. John, we appreciate you being on. Hope you have a great year and we'll see all of you next week on another podcast. Great. Thanks, Tim.